Hey everybody, welcome back to Bitch Breathe. This is our fourth episode. I'm really excited about this one. Let's face it, I'm always excited about the topics that we discuss here. And today I want to talk about the age issue. So as women, as people in general, I should say, this is something that's inevitably going to come up, right? Is not just the aging, but the age issue. And I want to come at this from two angles because it's been hitting me from two angles for the last couple of years, basically since I turned 40, 41, and a little bit more around 42 for sure. So the two angles are one is I want to talk about how do we deal with the aging process. And here I am specifically talking about women. What are some healthy ways to deal with the fact that yes, we are getting older. Yes, we don't look the way we used to. And maybe our life looks nothing like what we thought it would be at this stage, which for me is, as my son likes to remind me, <laughs> middle age, the dreaded middle age. And the other angle I want to come at this from is how do we deal with old age? Like how do we handle our own age? How do we manage the fact that we're old and ho hopefully still good and uh, in terms of health, but probably a lot more dependent on other people. And because that's something that's been coming towards me, I thought, okay, let me wrap these two huge issues into one. So here we are, the age issue. So the first one that I wanted to look at was the aging process. For me, this has always been something that, you know, was far away. I was young, I was a teenager, I did all these things, and I always relied on youth and good looks to somehow be there, of course. I don't think I'm an exception to other people in any way. But at some point, and it for some reason came fairly suddenly, I turned yeah, it was one of my 40 birthdays. And I'm pretty sure the 42, however, really hit me. My marriage had just ended. And there will be probably one or two episodes about the ending of marriages or long term relationships. So here I was, I was 42. And I was alone. And I couldn't believe that everything I had never wanted had just stepped into place. So I really had a hard time not just with the loneliness or the lack of uh, a partner at that time, it was also, wait a second, uh, how, how did this happen? How did I become that woman? You know, the one that I always sort of, or we sometimes joke about even on Instagram, the one with the 15 cats and no boyfriend. I'm, I'm here and happily informing you that I don't have 15 cats. But for a couple of years there, I felt like I was only one or two steps away from that and it really freaked me out and it would be little things like I would drop my phone and suddenly the camera app had uh, jumped on and I would see myself from a certain angle and think holy shit who is that woman like wh wh where did this skin come from or how did I get to look this tired and exhausted and a little bit disappointed in my eyes and in my in my face and it really really did me in a few times <laughs> or now that we're all on zoom uh we're constantly having to check okay how does how does my hair look you know do I have anything sticking out of my uh nose or <laughs> wherever and to just sort of control for that sort of wackiness that might have set in because we've 
been working from home a lot. So there are all these things on the outside, right? The, the cosmetic, if you will, the aesthetics of aging that were really, really bugging me now because now I didn't have the security of a guy, I guess, to tell me that I'm still desirable, that age doesn't matter, that everything can go south, as mom likes to say, <laughs> and I'll still be loved. So that was a huge issue for me. Um, to be honest. And in addition to that, I worked in a career before that. Um, by then I had changed, but I'll get to that a little bit later maybe. I had worked in a career that had me highly dependent on looking good, or at least symmetrical and not too old, not too non-mainstreamy, which was acting. And mostly I worked in commercials right? So I had to look a certain way and I was evaluated. My market value dropped or rose by how I looked and how well I was put together, how perfect I was and how I performed, of course. So I had been shaped by the exterior stimuli and opinions for a very long time because I did the whole acting thing for roughly 15 years. That's a long time to spend cultivating only your outward appearance and then basing that on your inward value. Bit tricky there, a bit of a uh, discrepancy that I had to manage for a long time. And today I'm going to talk about a few ways that I did so. So for the last couple of years, I really dug deep and I thought, okay, how can I find a way to stop beating myself up? Get this, right? All I'm doing is going through a regular aging process. I don't know if you have that too. I would love to hear about it in the comments. But how do I get to, be to stop beating myself up for aging, for not looking fabulous, for the kind of pain and disappointment and joy that I've had in my life to show on my face. How am I beating myself up for that? I mean, that's insane. That's like, you know, being angry at someone for, um, uh, for, for dying, which I know sometimes grief is that, like, how could you leave me? But you get the futility of the exercise. There's no, there's no value in fighting the inevitable. But of course, we spend most of our lives doing that, accepting not accepting what is actually already here. So one of the ways I did this and what follows is a couple of tools that have helped me um, in the last couple of years and that I hope will help you too. So the very first one was not so far for me to, it uh, wasn't so far for me to find, which was positive role models. I don't care if yours is Vivian Westwood, RBG, Oprah, whoever, whoever your role models are, but find women who aren't spring chickens, <laughs> who are already in middle age, who maybe have experienced a few things, or maybe they're not even middle age, but they've experienced a lot. They have stories to tell, and the stories are marked on their faces and in their way of being with other people, and mostly how they treat themselves. So finding those role models and really like read their biographies, see what is it they overcame, what struggles did they have. When I started doing that, I realized, my God, this woman had ovarian cancer. This one went through, I don't know how many divorces. This other one, there were issues with the children's health, whatever it was, you, o you start opening up these things. And it's like a, a positive Pandora's box where it's like, 
wow, all these miracles and all these hardships, and they overcame the latter. And I thought that was just incredible that I myself, and this is a very important point, I had discounted that women of this age could be, I don't want to put one more valuable than the other, but they, that they have value. Every woman at every age has value. But by society standards, as women age, our value drops like the currency in a banana republic, right? Whereas before, the buying power might have been huge if you were young and your looks was something you used to your advantage. Maybe you didn't, good for you. Um, but maybe you used the youth itself to your advantage, and this is now also fleeting. So you were paying a good currency. You had buying power. But now you don't, because whatever currency you used, your youth, your looks, um, external stimuli, it's going through a huge inflation, right? It's not going to buy you what you need. And what you need is people, women, who can model the kind of life and values that you really want for this stage of your life. So that was number one, find positive role models. Number two, whether or not you have a good relationship with your mom, I don't know if you've listened to uh, one of my last episodes yet. It's about moms and daughters. So if there are any issues there, feel free to listen into that one also. But if you have a mom who might know a thing or two about getting older and whose wisdom you do appreciate, or at least you feel like it's something that could be valuable, ask her. Ask how she handled that. Was it an issue? I asked my mom, and funnily enough, even though I was struggling tremendously, mom was not. And I'm like, Ma, how, how, did, I, you, how did you never tell me about how bad it was to age? I'm having such a hard time. When I look at myself in the mirror sometimes, I'm like, ugh, bitch, you is over. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that kind of self-destructive thoughts that was coming up. And I said, did, did you ever have that? And she said, well, sure, on some days. And now she's 70. So now she says, maybe sometimes she has it. I'm like, now? <laughs> I'm like 25 or years or so younger. Uh, I'm having it now. And she said, listen, when I turned 40, I finally thought I looked good. And more importantly, and this was the killer, I love this one, she said, I felt like people were finally listening to me. They were taking me seriously. And I thought, oh, that's magic. That is pure gold. People were finally listening to her, she says. And I thought to myself, oh, that's true. I've had the same experience. In Germany, you uh, have, just like in Spanish language, you have a polite form that you use for people you don't know and your elders. And then you have just the you, as you say, the do, um, which you use for people you're familiar with. And there are some softening um, dynamics around this rule, but basically you do still use the polite form, the Z, for people you don't know and people who are older than you. And I had actually struggled with kids, like in their 20s, who were suddenly starting to use the polite form when I showed up in a store or when they would just ask me something on the street. And I'm like, wait a second. I'm, I'm young. You don't have to use the polite form with me. But that's not how I was being perceived anymore. I was being perceived as an elder. And piggybacking to what mom said, I was being perceived as somebody they might listen to. 
So to have gained a sense of authority just by getting older, I'm like, that's the benefit I could live with. I mean, I didn't even have to so much work for this one. This is respect that is being shown to me. Not always, of course, and then you, you always have to fight back for respect, right? But just the idea that somebody would listen to me now, I thought, that's not half bad. I like that. So that was the second tool, ask mom. You'll probably hear me say ask mom <laughs> a lot of times in this podcast because it is about women and wise women and I consider my mom one of those. So the third tool I'd like to share with you is to support each other. Now here comes a huge topic that I can't say so much about but I would love to invite a guest at some point who can because I'm not yet there but I know this is also awaiting which is menopause. But I do have some friends who are going through it and they have incredible stories around it. There's been a lot of suffering, a lot of not accepting that this is finally here, right? You go from, oh God, my period's here again to shit, why is my period not coming anymore, right? So sort of going through that transition where your body is signaling to you, uh, you're not fertile anymore. You won't be having children for much longer. I know just by saying that out loud, even though this is not what I'm going through just yet, it hurts a little bit. It seems to define me a little bit as a woman and more than re defining, reducing me to um, someone who's no longer as valuable, who can't contribute to society as solidly and as sustainably as she could before when she could still bear children. So what is uh, some of the things my friends are doing and what is it that I can do who isn't yet there, but who knows, this poss possibly is a matter of, what, five to ten years? So what I've seen them do is to really openly talk about all the symptoms, which I know is still very hard, especially if you work in a corporate structure or in a place where you just have to function all the time. Some jobs are like that more than others, but they just talk about it. They're like, I'm having a hot flash. I am fucking sweating and I'm red in the face. I wake up with wet sheets in the morning, not from pleasure as it used to be maybe, but because I've been sweating all night. And just walking each other through these symptoms is a way to sort of open up about it and be like, okay, I guess this isn't always going to be a graceful transition or at least not in other people's eyes maybe, but I am going to talk about this and I will be as graceless as I need to be to get through the day. And I thought that was so courageous because my friend is absolutely beautiful, of course, and I had never seen her have a hot flash. Okay, once in a while she'd bust out a little fan and then she'd <laughs> fan herself because she's obviously getting hot. But to me, she didn't look graceless. She didn't look less value. To me, she was just my friend who was feeling a little hot at that moment. But actually, the symptoms that one seems to go through are so challenging that I can't even begin to do it any justice by mentioning it. But what I do want to mention is that I loved how my friends opened up about it, talked about it, and were courageous enough to say, yes, this is happening. So I hope you have friends around, if this is indeed a stage you're going through, that you can talk about, or maybe you can be that friend who opens up and creates some sort of ripple effect of, of transparency around the whole issue. But outside of menopause, 
The whole idea of just supporting each other in general has been amazing to me. You'll find me say this in my podcasts a lot, how much my especially female community, ancestors, even younger friends, I have young friends who are relationship coaches and um, who do all sorts of interesting uh, work that I thought you would have to be 40 or 52 to know, but they actually do a lot of amazing, amazing sessions and, and uh, work with clients that is just so supportive and so pro-female, pro-women, that I'm just really happy to be in this day and age where women can and, more importantly, will support each other. So that was rule number three, not rule, tool rather. And then there's the fourth one, which might be a little more personal for me, but maybe you too were in a situation like this. Um, if you have a career where your looks and your outer perfection and performance are the selling point, this is going to sound a little drastic, but I did do it. Consider switching careers. I, just like I mentioned earlier, was an actor for 15 years and I reached at some point, this is probably five years or so ago now, where I was like, really, do I really want to be evaluated by how I look? Even now at this stage when my looks are starting to change and I'm not 100% comfortable in front of the camera, that has changed by the way. But um, to sort of be that person who's just that outer shell, and I had gotten so sick of it. I had gotten sick of the business. I had got sick of all the hot air that gets produced along with commercials. I'm very grateful I had this time because it meant that I had time and money when I was raising my son. Um, but to be honest, this was not what I wanted to do. It felt soulless. People were behaving like we were saving lives when really all we were doing was selling detergent. And it just felt like, why am I doing this? Why am I performing in a in a way that doesn't necessarily represent where I'm at in my life right now? So leaving the business was really the way for me to go about it. Now I understand not everybody can just do that and leave their careers, but maybe there are other aspects of your career that you could cultivate more. If you're comfortable with doing this, I mean, obviously you stick with it. I'm just talking about when you're having growing pains and you realize, are there really other things that I would like to grow inside of me that this job will no longer serve up? So for me, I had always been a voice artist parallel to the acting, and I just switched to that completely. I mean, I have a whole bunch of other jobs. Podcasting isn't even the job, right? It's, it's, it's what I love doing. But I did that, and it turns out it wasn't quite as lucrative, but it was still an income that was enough for me and I could show up looking like a bum and it wouldn't matter as long as I had brought my craft and who'd have thunk I loved it more I loved it so much more than performing in front of camera I felt there was so much more creativity because people weren't looking at what I could deliver on the outside they looked to see okay what is it you've got how diverse is the usage of your voice your tonality what is it you can actually do with your craft so that for me was a convenient and related escape and maybe there are some of those in your job that you'd like to pursue if that is indeed something where you're experiencing pain or or this need to just you know transition into something else and that was tool number four is to consider switching careers 
or developing other aspects of your passion maybe. And maybe I should say this as a disclaimer, not because you think you've now gotten less value, right? Like with that, I would think, oh, just lean in even more and, and teach people if that's what you want to do, that you absolutely are. So it's not, oh, I should sh shrink away from the, from the light because I'm no longer valuable. That's not what I mean at all, just to be very, very sure. This is just about finding ways to cultivate the inner more than the outer evaluation and to our, for ourselves to become the judge of how valuable we are and not other people. Just wanted to clarify that. And then the fifth tool, this one is really, really huge for me. You know how the president in the States, the first uh, period of his um, rule, I want to say, that might be linked to the current president that we have to his um, office that first time those first four years are just all about you know proving yourself and and um, doing the job right getting it all done right but of course once they want to get reelected, everyone's talking about legacy what is this president going to leave behind what will his footprint be so for me this time of my life Slowly but steadily, I started to realize, oh, I want to leave something that's valuable. I don't need to change the world all at once, although that can always be an option, of course, because as women, we, we have superpowers, especially when we work together. But what is it I want to leave behind for my child, for myself, mostly, and maybe even a little bit for the world? And that took me a good long while to think about, but that is one of the reasons why I now do the podcast, not because I think this podcast will live forever, although I hope it might, um, but because I want to be sure that all the things I've learned, the things I've gone through, that they weren't for nothing. I know that they served my personal growth, but I always think if we've learned something and we think we grew from it, or if it was just a valuable lesson, then we should share it because we know it's the human experience and the human experience is universal. We all go through pain. We all have our shit that we have to do and that we have to be and losses will come. And there's not so much different difference among us as there are universal truths and values maybe. So just to open up and share what it is you've done in your life could be it. Maybe you were an excellent consultant for businesses all your life and now is the time you want to train people to do the same. Or is there that one great American, I want to say, but great universal novel inside you? Even if it never gets published, who gives a fuck? Just start writing like my friend is doing that now. She's starting to write a book and I can see, actually I have two friends now, I'm thinking of two friends, and I can see how therapeutic this has been for them to tell their truth because even if we think we made mistakes, even if things went really, really wrong in life, they count, they matter, and they might be even more valuable to share than the triumphs. It's great to celebrate the triumphs, and yes, that'll be my next point, but also sharing in what it is that we've learned, not just the bad things, but also the skills. Um, how often have I thought, man, why don't I have any recipes from my grandmothers or grandfathers? Like, I feel that is such an immense 
treasure to have your family recipes. So whatever it is, share, share, share. And then that could be your legacy, just sharing your skills and your experiences. And of course, like I just mentioned, also sharing your joy. What are some of the things you did really, really well? and write them down. There can be days when we're doing all sorts of things, taking care of grandchildren if they're here already, that might be a little premature, or we finished a degree under terrible circumstances, I don't know, in the background of the pandemic, or you were still working two jobs, or whatever it is, maybe you got out of a really bad relationship and it took you a long time to make this decision, but you did it. Celebrate those moments. Have parties. We celebrate everything else. Baptisms, weddings. Why aren't we celebrating our divorces or our overcoming um, the loss of a really, really valuable job? Just celebrating that something new is beginning. Even if we don't feel like it, get your girls together and be like, girls, I don't feel so great, but I am liberated or I'm not sure about this decision, but I think something good can come because you know what? You pour all that celebratory energy into this, something good is going to come, right? I know you've had this experience where it seemed daunting or maybe you had doubt, but you were like, you know what? I'm going to put my best foot forward and I'm going to get the help from my community. And then something good eventually does transpire. So celebrating the joy absolutely marking it writing it down have a record of joy for yourself and maybe even for your children for those you leave behind later to read why not it would be very very inspiring to them surely the next tool i want to talk about i briefly touched upon it earlier not all of what we go through is going to look elegant right not all of what we go through is something we want to talk about because maybe there's a lot of shame attached to it. I know for me, and I'll talk about this later when I have the issue on divorce. So if you've been divorced, maybe listen in there. That episode will come later. But for me, uh, when that happened, when the separation happened, I flailed all the time. I cried on the subway. I don't normally cry in public or in front of people very much. That has changed very much in the last couple of years. <laughs> but until that moment, I had never done that. I felt, because my grandmother was a very elegant lady, that you have to carry yourself and carry yourself well. You don't sort of lean in to being a public disgrace. Well, I hope grandmother is still proud of me. She's no longer with us. But gracelessly handling uh, pain and, and grief in public. This was my life <laughs> for a whole long time. I had anxiety, by the way, also um, an episode I talk about in, in the early episodes, if you want to listen into it. I had so much pain. Sometimes I was in so much pain that I couldn't even form a word. It would just sort of come out as like a sound or something. And to just allow myself to not handle this perfectly, this transition, to not be graceful, to be ashamed of, of what had happened. I mean, for me, and I can talk about this again in the other episode, but for me, I felt so ashamed of how the end of my relationship went down and all the things that I uncovered once the ending of that relationship announced itself. I couldn't, I couldn't believe what had happened to me. I could not believe that I had become that woman who cries on the subway and who ever wanted to listen would hear my separation story because it needed to come out 
I didn't know where to go with everything that was happening and I just needed an outlet. So wherever it presented itself, whether that was a very well chosen place or person or not, it didn't matter. That's what I did. Graceless transition. I'm all for it. Put that on your mirror. Graceless transitions are the way to go because that is how we can uncover what is going on so much faster. And again, by sharing that with other people, they will also become maybe a little bit more courageous about opening up um, with regard to their stories. So there, that was rule number, I keep saying rule, but they're tools, uh, number six. The seventh one, I think this is one that's just so fun. It's just so fun to have come across this one, and that is to uncramp your style. So <laughs> speaking about Vivian Westwood earlier, if you have been somebody who never really paid much attention to fashion, because that was me for a very long time, I just sort of dressed in a functional way. I had been a yoga teacher for years and teaching several classes a day. What am I going to get changed every day, three times a day? I mean, uh, in between classes, no, I ended up spending my years in leggings an awful lot and big sweaters. And when I stopped being a yoga teacher full-time, well, I never was full-time, but taught a lot, and now I, te I teach a lot less, I started a new job, and in this new job, which I'll probably talk about some other time, uh, which is also a fun fact, the women there dressed, like, amazingly. Like, they were from New York and Israel and um, and London, and they just really, they wore the high heels, and they wore these beautiful dresses, and after a week of working there, I called my mom, who is totally fashion conscious, like a total fashionista, and I said, Ma, we need to go shopping, so I will have you know, Ma could have never been happier, <laughs> so, and we're both vintage um, clothes lovers, so I went all out, now you do not see me leave the house, without looking like a light lit up Christmas tree or a, 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 like a, a birthday cake with because there's so much jewelry, there are so much accessories with the hats, with the big dresses, the glitter, everything. And this is how I go out, how I leave my house most days. And um, my boyfriend's always saying to me when I arrive there in the evening, so he'll say to me, oh, where are we going? I'm like, ha ha, very funny. Because the truth is, I don't have this big occasion that I'm dressing up for. I'm just going to work or just meeting a friend. But I've uncramped my style. I dress whatever the fuck I want to dress in. I accessorize. Maybe the colors don't go to uh, so well. And I love what I think her name is Enos Apfel, this incredible New York fashion icon who's like really a lot older even. I think she's in her 80s. And she says, just experiment. I'm paraphrasing now. What is the fashion police going to come be like, mm, that bracelet doesn't go with that dress? It's like, who the fuck cares? Do whatever you want. When are you going to do that? When are you going to do and be who you are? If you're not going to be who you are now, think about that. We don't know how many numbers of years we have left. We really don't. Maybe we're taking care of aging parents. Maybe we're taking care of children still. Maybe we're doing both. What are we going to wait until all those people are taken care of? Until we're, um, you know, completely immobilized? We can't go to that flea market, that vintage store to get all those fun accessories. No, accumulate them now. So that's my fun um, strategy is to just uncramp your style and 
really, really go crazy. Experiment with different styles. Borrow from your children. Borrow from your from your mom or your dad even. Hey, who says you can't go all the way out and just dress in a, in a completely different style at this point? Who cares? So that's my, my fun one. And then the very last one, and this one is the most personal work you're going to do. And then we'll talk about the whole, by the way, old age issue. I'll add that to this um, episode at a later time. So stay tuned for that because I don't want to be too long. Um, But here's the last strategy. Don't talk to yourself that way. So you know how we sometimes say to other people, hey, how are you talking to me like this? Like, don't talk to me like this. Who the fuck do you think you are? Right? But the truth is, we talk to ourselves in ways that are so violent sometimes that I'm sometimes thinking, how, how is it I'm doing that? And I just did a workshop in a yoga class the other day at a retreat. Actually, it was a mindful or a mind retreat, not mindfulness, but one where we focus on mind things. And I had people think of some of the worst things they say to themselves sometimes in the mornings or when they look at themselves in the mirror or when a bad decision happened at work, whatever it, it is for you. And then I had them pair up and say those bad things to another person while looking them in the eye. And you wouldn't believe, maybe you would, what happened, that some were crying. They were certainly deeply moved because they suddenly realized the violence of their speech, the self-loathing that was behind that sentence, and that they would never, ever talk to another person this way. And I know for me... And this was very hard, again, with the aging process, but also because now I was alone, which was a very hard thing for me to do. I hadn't been single for most of my life. I was in relationships, and that's something I really had to learn, how to be on my own and feel lovable despite the absence of a lover or a partner, and to sometimes stand there in the mornings after the separation with this face, I thought, who is this person? I don't even recognize her anymore. I don't know who I was before, but I have even less knowledge about who this is now. And if there could be even less, I don't know who I want to become because I've got no fundament or foundation for that question to be answered. And it was very, very painful and challenging. But I really have to say I worked on it very, very hard to stop talking to myself in ways that were so degrading, condescending, and downright cruel. And um, I know that that is not always easy, right? Um, Because we have bad days, and we, we do get, you know, left by partners, or we leave them, and our children move out, and parents pass on, or maybe we're going through a disease even worse, God forbid, it's not easy. And to really make it a choice, I think I got this term from Gabby Bernstein, um, another uh, great thought leader in some ways. Um, and she, she termed, I think she coined this phrase, radical self-love, or maybe everybody's using this buzz love, uh, buzzword, and I just heard it with her first. But radical self-love, the word radical is absolutely what I meant because radical doesn't ask for permission. Radical doesn't ask for perfection. Radical just asks that you go completely against everything that is in place right now. 
So if everything that is in place right now is self-loathing and self-criticism and that censor's voice is fucking loud in your head, if that's all that is there one morning, go radically against it and say, I love you. Say it to you in the mirror. I know a lot of coaches, a lot of people say this, and it's not a very new insight, but I'm going to tell you, I did it. I did. I said, Ricard, yeah, I love you. It was very, very hard to say because I did not feel that. But uh, feel it, I do now. Took me a while. So, um, yeah, that's my last tool for this episode. Love yourself in a way that is nothing less than radical. All right, witches, bitches, women, and ladies, I hope this episode served you. I hope you take away even just one tool that is useful to you. I'd love to hear you in the comments. Maybe you'd like to rate the podcast, which would be really super helpful to me. And also, if you have topics that you would like to hear about and that maybe I can offer some insights about, I would love to hear from you also. Thank you for listening. And until then, stay magical. Sending love.